not looking to the left or to the right, but really understanding that I have to abide in him. I have to remain in him. I have to stay connected in him. Oftentimes we think we can grow without him. Now, understand this too. Oftentimes we think we can grow. Catch this. Without the word. It's like you believing that you can grow and develop without eating. Without eating, you what? You don't die instantly, but you slowly what? Begin to die. That is God's word. Unless I am eating of God's word and learning God's word, I am not replenishing what this spiritual body has need of. And I have to have a well-balanced diet of the Word of God, understanding it, and growing. Now, everyone is growing. The question is, how and what are they growing in? What is it that you're growing in? Are they growing in the basic principles of this world? Do you function in your life off of the wisdom and knowledge of what you have gained from the streets? Do you function off the wisdom and knowledge of what you have gained from your friends that you run around with? Do you function from the people that, boy, not at home what you learned, but from the people down the street from their home? See, my dad used to tell me, that's how Mr. So-and-so runs their home. My home runs this way. And God says the same thing. My home runs this way. Not how somebody down the street runs their home. This is how God's house is run. And the issue is, where are you getting your information from in your growing process? Are you growing in the hollow, deceptive philosophies of man? I mean, nothing wrong with schooling. I'm all for education. But education can be very deceptive. Education can be very foolish at times. And it can become that which is taught by man that we begin to depend on rather than on the Word of God. So are you growing in the hollow, deceptive philosophies which depends on human traditions and teachings? Is it okay just to live with somebody and not marry? And, and that's the teaching of today, and that's the teaching of our society today, and we're seeing more and more of that taking place because people see it's all right, because what they say in their mind is this, I love that person. And God says, that type of lifestyle is wrong, but I love that person. Remember that old record, me and Mrs. Jones? It didn't matter if she was married. It didn't matter if he was married. 
It's just my feelings. I love that person. And if I love them, it's okay for us to be together. Well, if you want to be together, God has ordained a proper way of doing that. So who are you listening to? Do you grow from the wisdom of the streets and your friends from the family down the street? Where do you gather your information in growing? Where do you gather it from? Where do you get it from? Where do you allow the informations? Now, catch this. That's going to form your emotions. You have to understand that. The information you gather forms your emotions. Hey. It affects the mind. And your spirit, the soul, that inner person that is growing. Where you gather your information affects your mind, your thinking, and your soul. And how you're growing. Because you're feeding yourself. You're feeding yourself. And remember, it used to be that little saying, garbage in, garbage out. That's still true today. Some information is going to be profitable to you. Some information is going to help you. Some information is going to Help you to grow and get out of the mud and the market clay. Some information is going to be very valuable that helps you to lift yourself. And other information, that's all it is. Hollow information that can bring about no change in your life. Cannot help you at all in your life. And you're the one who has to filter it. You're the one that has to figure out, is this true or not? Pilate said, what is truth? You won't know if something's true or not until you put it to the test. You won't know how valuable it is until you test it and you try it and you walk with it and you wrestle with it and you deal with it. You really won't know how valuable it is until you yourself have tested it. Other people can tell you about it, but there's nothing like knowing it for yourself. And you have to grab truth for yourself. And you have to understand something about truth. Truth always has the ability to rise up. But it has that strength in it, as we were singing. It has the strength in it to pick you up from whatever position in life you find yourself. It has the, position, it has the power to change you and really minister to you. The truth does. But you're the one that has to value it. Go to John 5 with me just for a moment. And look in John chapter 5. Look what he says. And he's talking to the Pharisees here. But he's talking about scripture. But he's going to key mark what scripture is really saying. And what scripture is really talking about. Not what you're thinking, but really what scripture points to. 
And it's important because this is the starting point. If you don't start here, nothing else matters. You can gain the whole world and lose your soul because you did not understand this main little scripture or element that is so important. So in 539, he simply says, let me get there. He says, you diligently study. And we should be doing that. You ought to be a person that studies. You ought to be a person that desires to learn. But don't learn just out of pride. Don't learn just to have a large head. Don't learn just for the sake of knowledge. Learn with the ideal that what you learn, you want to be able to somehow use it in such a way that it affects you and other people. You're not learning, you're not studying just for you. The doctor doesn't study medicine just for himself. He studies it for what? That he might correctly apply it to the lives of other people, how to cut just right. What organs didn't move? When I had the surgery here from this tumor, I asked the doctor, because he told me he's going to have to cut the nerves that all come up through here. And I said, doctor, are they color-coded? Are they what? How are you going to know to put what back together? But after about 11 hours of surgery, he tied all the nerves back to each section. And it's amazing that he was able to do that. It's amazing that he said, we're going to put a bag inside your face. I said, you're going to do what? We're going to put a bag in your face. He said, if we don't build this up with that bag, it's going to be all sunk in. He said, we're going to put a bag in there. And I said, what happened if it ever starts leaking? (laughs) But he said, if I don't put it in there, you'll be disfigured over here. So he put the bag in there. And so far, it hasn't leaked. It's still holding up some. But the thing is this. He went and educated himself and picked up them skills, not so much for himself, but for people like me who needed his skills, who needed his education. God wants to make you like that doctor. He wants to educate you that first, yes, it does profit you. It does benefit you. It does satisfy you that you then can apply it to the lives of others. But it starts there. And he simply says, boy, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about who? Me. About me. Yet you refuse to come to me and catch the last words here. To have life. You refuse to come to me even though the scriptures point to me. You refuse, and I want you to hang on to that word confused. 
You refuse. I want you to hang on to that. Because when we get over to John 15 and begin to study about the vine and the branches, I want you to remember when I pointed out to you that you're the one that refuse. You refuse to accept me. Even though the scriptures point to me. Then 2 Timothy 2.5, 2, 2.15, he tells you, cut it short my time's going to run, is that, boy, study to show yourself approved. Again, he tells you to study. To study. And when you study, something's going to happen. Go to James 1. Let's get to, go to James 1. Because you don't get something for nothing. It always pays. When you're going to grow in the Lord, it's going to cost you something. The Lord said a man doesn't begin to build a home unless he first sit down and what? Count the cost. He doesn't go out to war unless he really measure. Boy, this guy is coming against me. He got 10,000 soldiers. I only got 1,000 soldiers. He, he measures. He takes a look at it. In James chapter 1 and verse 2, he says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you're, whenever you face what? Trials. How many of you were joyful on Friday when you were in school and the test came? And it's amazing. Most of the time in school, the test would come on when? Friday's. And the test sometimes would cover over everything that what? I remember Dr. McGraw told us, you guys are in here, you're students, and you're going to study the word, and you're going to read this, and you're going to read that, and you're going to read a little bit of this guy, and that guy, and this guy. But while you're in this classroom, I want you to know one thing. Your answer is wrong. Mine is right. Once you graduate, you can form your own theology. You can come, but while in this classroom, I want to know, are you receiving what I am teaching you? And he said, I've had students in the past come up and argue me about what Scripture is saying, and this is saying, and that is saying, and I just share with them, you're wrong. He said, I already got my degrees. You're trying to get yours, and you've got to get through me to get it. <laughs> so what's I say is what's right. And what you say is wrong. Unless I find on that paper what I've said. And that's what God says. When I give you the test, you can't come up with your own answers. (laughs) There's only one answer. My way. (laughs) What I say. And you have to deliver back to me what I've taught you. But I taught you. And he says, I'm going to put you through the test to see if you've learned. Because I'm going to put a trial in your life where you are either going to trust me and follow me or you're going to lean back on your own understanding and your own ways of doing things and you're going to do that but I'm going to be able to see have you learned from me? Have you learned from the Holy Spirit? Have you learned from the teacher and what he's been teaching you? 
So he says, I'm going to bring trials into your life. I'm going to teach you, then I'm going to test you. I'm going to teach you, and I'm going to test you. Because that's the only way I'm going to really know, or let me put it this way, for you to know if you're really walking with the Lord. For that you can measure yourself and see yourself, how much you've learned. The test is not really for the teacher. The test is really for you to see what you've learned, to see what you know. It is to challenge how you're going to live and what you truly believe. And he says, boy, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, many kinds, many kinds, many tests in your life. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Why am I doing this? I'm teaching you to what? Persevere. Why? Because living a Christian life is not easy. Living as a godly woman is not easy. A lot of godly women revert to the ways of the world to catch a man. A lot of men revert to the ways of the world to catch a woman. And God says, no, you are to be godly women, godly men. This should be your attitude. This should be how you dress. This is how you talk. This is how you live. And he puts us through the test. To see if we're going to lean on the ways of the world or the wisdom of the world. Or are we going to lean upon him and trust him? See, if a man desires a godly wife, trust God to bring him. If a woman is seeking a godly man, trust God to bring him. And both, you line them up with this. Let me share a little thing. If a man doesn't love God, he really is not going to love you. He'll use you, but really won't love you. If a woman really doesn't know God, she can't really love the man or submit to the man the way God has ordered it and has, and has ordained it. Because she got all these things and all this garbage in the back of their head a way a man should be because she hasn't seen the godly man or the man the way God desires according to his word. And he says, I'm going to put you to the test. I'm going to try you. Now, Satan knows this. And be aware of Satan's knowledge. Satan knows this. Satan knows that we can't grow the way God desires us to grow separated, alienated from Jesus. You can't grow. My children could not have grown up the way I wanted them to grow, living in somebody else's house. They couldn't do that. They could not be what I was directing them to be and what maybe I wanted them to be. 
Not that I made them be what I wanted them to be, but to put into them a desire to be more than what they could be. That would not have happened outside my home, not listening the way I wanted it to happen. Because they would have been under somebody else's what? Guidance. See? Your children right now can't dream for themselves. But while they're young, you dream what? For them. The scripture tells us children are like an arrow which you put in your bow and you pull it back and you see the target and you let that arrow fly to the target. And you put a target out in front of your children. My children never thought about not going to college because from the time they were in grade school all the way through, you're going to college, you're going to college. And the other choice is the Y bridge where you jump off. But the whole, the whole thing is you're going to college. They knew that up here. At the high school, college. Okay. And you have to direct. You have to put it in here and in here. This is the next step. If they're in somebody else's house, they can't grow the way you want them to grow. And God recognized that. But Satan also recognizes it. So what does Satan try to get us to do? How many of your friends or how many people might you've grown up with or how many people you might know said, I ran away from home? <laughs> And that's what Christians do. We run away from God's house. We run away from God's teaching. We run away from the presence of God who loves us and loves us more than anybody else will ever love us. We find ourselves running away. And Satan gives us every excuse to run away from home. And not to desire what God has for us. Satan knows that we can't grow the way God desires us to grow. Separated and alienated from Jesus. Now in the Old Testament. Mostly. The vine was basically referred to as Israel. You can look at those texts and so forth. Where God said he cut them off. He destroyed them. He did this. The vine. The vine. He did that. Israel was the vine in which all the other nations were to come into a relationship with God. But it didn't happen. Go to Isaiah 4 7. Isaiah. Because. I want you to, I'm sorry, 5, 4, and 7. Um, it's so important to see this thing in the Old Testament that Israel was always, in a sense, referred to as the vine. He says, What more could have been done for my vineyard? That's the question God asked about Israel. What more could I have done? When you look what all God had done, for the tribe of Israel. God's question is, what more could I have done? And he 
goes on, he says, that I have done for it. When I looked for good grapes, why did it yield only what? Bad. When I, I've done all this, but all I see and all I can receive from it is bad. Now I will tell you what I am going to do to my vineyard. I will take away its hedges and it will be destroyed. I will break down its walls and it will be trampled. I will make it a wasteland, neither pruned nor cultivated. Keep the word pruned in your mind also. Pruned and cultivated. And berries and thorns will grow there. What will grow there? Weeds. Berries and thorns. And he says, I will command the cloud not to rain on it. In other words, I will not pour down blessings in your life. I will not rain down blessings in your life. The vineyard of the Lord Almighty is the house of Israel. He explains it right there. The vineyard, it is the house of Israel. And the men of Judah are the garden of his delight. And he looked for justice, but saw bloodshed. For righteousness, but he heard cries of distress. He heard the cries of distress. Go to Ezekiel real quick, because I'm going to paint this picture a little bit if I can. Because you need to see God having Israel as the vine. And in this Lamet that he sets forth, Lamet is a musical word also. It sets the emotion. It sets the tone, in a sense. Have you heard some music that would make you cry? Have you heard some music that make you joyful and you just got to move? You know? And you heard the music that kind of like smooths you? And so that's the Lamet. Okay? It can make you sorrowful or it can make you joyful. And he says, starting in verse 10, he says, Your mother was like a vine in your vineyard, planted by the water. So it had everything it needed, in a sense. It was, it was fruitful and full of branches because of the abundance of water. Its branches were strong. Fit for a ruler's scepter. It towered high above the thick forage. When it was living like God wanted it to live, what did God say it did? It was high. It was noticeable. It had big branches. It was out there. Life was profitable and great. And, and he goes on and he says, but it was uprooted. In fury and thrown to the ground. The east wind made it shrivel. It was stripped of its fruit. Its strong branches withered, and the fire consumed them. Now it is planted. Listen to it, because when we get over into John 15, and sometimes we hear about he took the branches and threw them in the fire. We're going to have to talk about that a little bit. But he says here, he says, the strong branches did what? Withered. And fire consumed them. 
Now it is planted in the desert. When you stray from God and you're not connected with God, your life becomes like a desert. It shrivels up. It dries up. And it has really no life to it. That's why in Ephesians it says, yes, you're alive, but you're dead. Because you have no true sap running through you to supply you what you have need of. And he said, now it is planted in the desert in a dry and thirsty land. Fire spread from one of its main branches and consume its fruit. Sin. The fire of sin that destroys. No strong branch is left on it. Fit for a ruler's scepter. Now listen to the end part here. This is a lament and it is to be used as a lament. It is used to catch your attention. It is used to study this and understand Israel and to even weep and sorrow for Israel to understand what is going to go through and what God is doing in this song in a sense he's rising your emotions towards what had happened to Israel once they were strong the next time they find themselves in the desert land once they were real fruitful and then they find themselves fruitless And Hosea explains it best in a sense. In 10.1. Just go to that real quick. And then we'll head over to John real quick. Here, first five verses. But go to Hosea 10.1. Because I want you to see what the fruit is. Oftentimes we think of fruit as something outside of ourselves. When we get to John 15, the fruit he's talking about is in us. In us. Yes, people will pick of your fruit. And yes, it's a blessing to them. But the fruit has to be first cultivated in your own life. In order to be a blessing to others. And in Hosea 10.1 he says, Israel was a spreading vine. He brought forth fruit for what? Himself. He brought forth fruit in their life for what? Himself. God wants to bring fruit forth in your life for Himself. For Himself. For Himself. He wants to bring that fruit. Therefore, when you get over into the New Testament, something changed vitally about this vine. It is no longer individual tribe or people that this vine becomes one person the Lord Jesus Christ why because in man is nothing but what failure so what God does he sets this vine just like he did in the Old Testament but this time there's no failure in this vine and that everybody can draw strength from this vine And everybody can be fruitful from this vine. And therefore you hear in the very first verse 
in John 15, he says, I am the true vine. No longer Israel. I am. Jesus says, I'm the true vine. I'm the one who you're going to draw the sap from. I'm the one you're going to draw the strength from. I'm the one you're going to draw life from. I'm the true vine. Not Israel. I am. Jesus now is the vine. And the believers are the branches. And Jesus says, I am that true vine. But then he goes on in that verse and he says something else. And my father is the gardener. My father is the gardener. I'm the vine. But my father is the gardener. My job is to help you produce the fruit that my father desires. My father's job is to watch. And what is not productive, he cuts off. He cuts off. He cuts off. He's that gardener that is watching our lives. And he's the one cutting away in our life. He's the one taking away in our life. And guess what? Some things we don't want him to take away. But have you ever saw a trim when, the, when a guy with the saw is cutting the limb that the tree reaches back out towards the limb to try to pull it back in? Well, you and I, when God cuts something from our lives, guess what we try to do? We try to grab it back. Remember what we sung? God knows what's best for us. And we're saying, Lord, I love this. Lord, I need this. And God is saying, you don't need this. And we fight with him from allowing him to cut it off from us. To take it away from us. To remove it out of our lives. We fight with him. Not knowing that thing that we're trying to keep will destroy us. That thing we're trying to keep will hurt us. That thing that we're trying to hold on to will not profit us. That thing that we're trying to hold on to. And some of you know this about life. It just saps life away from you. It takes everything that you try to work for. It destroys you little by little by little. And you experience it in life. But when you can really let it go and let God do his work, you see your life changing. But he says, my father, he's the gardener. And the Father is going to work in your life. Because he says, he who has begun a good work in your life, he will continue it until you see Christ face to face. He's going to work in your life. The believer who bears fruit, the verse tells us in two, he is pruned. So that they may bear more fruit. And none of us like that because we don't understand that. So in verse 2 he says, 
He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, even more fruitful. He cuts us for a purpose. He takes things away from us for a purpose. That our lives can be fuller, that our lives can be more enriched, that we can bear more fruit in our lives. He's not taken away from us in the sense just to take away from us to make us sad or unhappy. He's taken away from us for our good. And that's what the song said. We don't understand it. But God takes away from us for that we can benefit, that we can really be blessed, that we can really prosper, that we can really discover life. He takes away from us. And the purpose of that is that he wants to bear more fruit in our life than what's there. He wants to bear more. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. Now I want you to really take a look at that. He said he cuts it from me. From me is who? Christ. He cuts it. He's going to explain why too. Because you don't bear any fruit. That doesn't mean that you're not a Christian. That doesn't mean that you're not saved. And depending on whose commentary you read here, and some will argue, and you'll see it both ways. And some will say, no, that cannot be the elect, that cannot be the saved. And I'm going to say it could be. Because others argue for it too. Based on this thing that Jesus said is cut away from me. It's a part of what? Me. And I put that with Timothy. That some of us are nothing but wood, hay, and stubble. We will not bear any fruit in our lives. We will not do anything to honor Christ in our life. We will not do anything to be worthy of the kingdom of God because we bear no fruit at all. But that's our choice. Because, see, when the sap flows through the tree, the word of God is the sap. And it's the sap that gives life. It is the sap in the tree that bears the seed for every leaf that grows on that tree. It is the sap in that tree that carries the life for a new branch. You notice out front, I cut down two trees in the front part of the church. But along the side of the true branch part of the tree, the trunk part, new branches are coming up. Showing that there's still life where at. In that thing. And new ones are coming up with small little leaves, new lives. That when you stay connected, you will be pruned, yes, you will be cut. But you're going to bring forth other life. And there's two types of things here. And I want to say that which is unfaithful and that which is faithful. The faithful brings forth fruit. That which is unfaithful 
something not fruitful. And we could put it in the other classification. One is the saved and the other is the unsaved. I prefer to put it into the unfruitful and the fruitful. And I'll tell you why. He says in that verse 2, he says, He cuts every branch in me that bears no fruit. For every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now look what he says in 3. You are already clean because of the what? The word. The word is the sap. The word is what runs through that gives life. It is the word that is bringing forth and carrying the seed into your life that brings forth the fruit that he wants to see. And he says, you're already clean. Let's talk about that. He said, because you've heard me speak the word. The word, when you receive it, has a cleansing effect in your mind, your conscience, in your life. The word has the ability to separate you from sin. The word begins to enlighten your mind, to teach you, and you begin to push away from those things that are wrong. And then it becomes the word of God that cleanses or flushes your life flushes your mind, renews your mind, renews this whole person when the Word of God goes forth. It's like the sap running through the tree giving life. The Word of God is that Word that's run through your life to bring forth fruit out of your life. And he says, the Word. Now, before you plant, Faith was out there in her garden. She had the tiller, and she just fighting with that tiller, trying to till to put the garden in. And that tiller was working her. And I finally just went out. I'll go ahead and till the garden. Faith, because I had a little bit more strength than faith, and I could hold the tiller, and I could guide the tiller better, and I could pull it where she's out there using every bit of her stuff to go in that tiller, beating her up, you know. But when the father came in, he could handle the tiller. But what was she tilling for? She was preparing to plant seeds that would come forth from the garden. She was planning to put seeds in that would bring forth life, cabbage, Beans, turnips. But see, she couldn't just go out there and throw the seeds. She had to first do what? Clean the area where she was going to plant. And before God can plant his seed in your life, he first has to clean you to make the ground, to make the life ready to receive the seed. And then the seed brings forth the fruit. But he says, I have to clean you first. What cleans you? My word. My word prepares you for the seed, for the fruit that I'm going to bring forth in your life. But you have to be willing to receive 
the word. If you're not receiving his word, you're not going to have the fruit that God wants in your life. You're not going to live the life that God really desires you to live. Because you are the one. Remember when I said, remember the word refuse? You refuse his word. You refuse to believe his word. You refused it. And in so doing so, you refuse the fruit that he wants to bear in your life. And he goes on, he says, you are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Now in verse 4, he comes up with this very important part that you and I have to sometimes just stay with. Because the word is that sap that runs through. And we're already clean. He's already done that. You've been cleaned. You're ready for the seed. You have to be willing to receive that seed, though, that will bring forth the fruit that God so desires. And in verse 4, basics of the fruit bearing is the relationship. The relationship. A continuance in this relationship. And it has to be reciprocal. How many of you have loved somebody that didn't love you? How many of you liked somebody that didn't like you? How many of you chased after a person that doesn't chase back? How many of you always calling somebody that never calls you? What happens to that relationship eventually? It just falls off to the side. This relationship between the vine and the branch has to be reciprocal. It has to be, it's a two-way street. It's not just God to us. It has to be from us to God also. It's a two-way street. But sometimes we try to make it a one-way street. God, you only, just come, just come. It's never us doing for him or loving him or obeying him. It's just a one-way street. Bless me, bless me, bless me. Give me, give me, give me. Take care of me, take care care of me. No, it's a two-way street. (coughs) And that's what Ford tells us. That it is something in which you have to do and I have to do. And what is it? He says, abide in me. Remain in me. What is that telling us? With Elaine, we don't, and I don't have handcuffs on her. I don't take her home and lock her in the closet to be safe that I'm going to keep her or I'm going to lose her. It can't be me just loving her or her just what? Loving me. But it has to be a relationship where we're caring for each other and caring and loving each other and nourishing each other and building each other. And here comes the key word, wanting each other. That same thing has to take place in this relationship between the branch 
and the vine. Between the believer and Jesus. We have to want it. Remember last one I talked about you engaging it? You have to engage a relationship. You have to want to be involved in a relationship. You have to want to build a relationship. You have to do it. And Jesus says, remain in me. Then he gives us this promise that comes right back with it. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you. That's the promise. If you remain in me, I'll remain in you. And if you remain in me, you'll be fruitful. But if you choose to walk away, you become non-productive. You become unfruitful. And he says, you can do nothing apart from me. But what I want you to really capture is this. Your choice to walk away. Your choice to allow things to come into your life that hinders your relationship. If I allow another woman to come into my life, that's going to hinder the relationship right here. Not only will it hinder this relationship between us, it's going to hinder the relationship here. It's going to relieve the relationship between my son-in-law. It's going to also... Hinder the relationship between you as a position as being pastor and congregation. It's going to hinder if I allow anything else in. And what you need to understand, when you allow something in between your relationship with Jesus Christ, it's not just about you, it's going to have a rippling effect that is going to touch the lives of others. You need to understand that. And that then will help safeguard your relationship. That you don't let nothing in between you and God. You don't allow nothing in there. Because you know you can do nothing without Christ. How many of you really realize you can't take your next breath without Christ? It's only a God who permits you. And when God don't allow you to take that next breath, what happens? You die. You die. That's how necessary he is in our spiritual life. Without him allowing us to breathe spiritual We just die. We just die. The basis of the fruit-bearing relationship is a continuance in him. It has to be a reciprocal relationship. It's not a one-way street. We both have to want this relationship. And the Father wants it based on this, that we would bear more fruit. In verse 2, if there's going to be fruit, there must be a connection. You're not going to have fruit with Jesus being here and you being way over here. Elaine and I would never have children 
with her sleeping in that bedroom and me sleeping in that bedroom. But our children is kind of like the fruit of our relationship. Why? We were able to connect. You bear fruit only when you are connected to the vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. Apart from him, you can do nothing. But if you're connected, you're going to bring forth life. You're going to bring forth fruit. You're going to bring forth that that people can pick from your life and that they themselves then are able to taste and see how good the Lord is because they're eating of your fruit that God has given seed into your life. And when you're connected, the next important thing is this, maintenance. Every now and then, Sherry used to look at me at first because I, I tell Sherry the thing, Sherry, don't tell Ms. Brown I'm taking my girlfriend to lunch. But my girlfriend, right there, sometimes we forget what we did in courting and dating, guess what we got to continue to do? Yes. So I asked her sometime this month, I said, where do you want to go? And she said, Amish country. Now we're trying to plan some time to just get away. Not with the grandkids, not with Mark and Faith, just the two of us. Hey, hey, why? They wasn't there when we were dating. Hey. And it is to refresh, it is to renew ourselves. Hey. So we keep dating. And Christ keeps wanting to date you. And you got to keep wanting to what? Date Him. And in doing so, what you do is you maintain the relationship. Maintenance is important in a relationship. You have to work on it. You have to watch over it. You have to fix those things that need to be fixed. You have to deal with those things that sometimes are cracked or broken in a relationship. And it's called maintenance. And in this relationship between the branch and the vine, not only do you stay connected, you have to maintain it, that you're keeping it, and you're keeping it healthy. And then he says, the unfruitfulness, and we'll pick up more of this next week, the unfruitfulness reveals the natural person who will not receive the seed, the word of God. Without the word, you cannot bring forth fruit. You can't bring it forth. That's why it's so important to be under the word. That's why it's so important to hear the word. For growth, faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing of what? The word. You grow by hearing the word. You grow by being under the word. You grow by practicing and putting into application in your life 
what the Word instructs. You're growing. And he says, only thing the unfruitful part really reveals is this. They would not receive the Word. Remember what he said? You were clean by the Word. You have to receive it. And you have to let go. Apart from the word Logos, Jesus, and the written word was written on these pages. You need it. Jesus is that spoken word of God. He is that word that took on flesh. But he came and he spoke words to us. Which is written down for us that the Holy Spirit, the teacher, takes and teaches us. And we need that word, Jesus. We need that written word of his that is written in this Bible. And one can do nothing with their lives. And this is the part that this parable is really bringing about. You can do nothing with your life separated from the vine. Separated from Jesus. You can do absolutely nothing but this. Listen now. Because this is the only thing you can do. Don't miss this. Because you see it in everyday life. The only thing you can do with your life without Jesus is mess it up. And bear no fruit. Be unproductive. Not only in your own life, but in your children's life and in your grandchildren's life. You are unproductive. And you'll see from one generation to another generation to another generation, ungodly lifestyle that does what? Take a people or a person where? Down. But when one accepts the word and starts growing in the word, you see the word lifts them up out of the marry clay, out of the mud, out of the filth of this world. And that's where you get the saying by people. Are they of that family? They're so different than the others. What took place? The word of God lifted them. The word of God lifted them up out of the marry clay that they were stuck and understand without the word, Satan slowly kills you. And that's what we'll talk about some next week. When that branch is cut off, you don't see the moment that branch is cut off that it's just dead. When that branch is lying next to the tree after it's been cut, for a day or two, the leaves are still what? green. The bark is still somewhat healthy. Why? There is some sap in it. But because it's not getting a refreshment, a renewal of the sap running through it, the leaves begin to wither and the bark begins to come unraveled around it. And what you begin to see is that slow death of that branch being separated from the vine.
And what we see in life is this. The slow death of individuals who have been separated by Satan from their life-giving source, Jesus. Don't let nothing separate you from the vine, from the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't let no man separate you. Don't let no woman separate you. Let no title separate you. Let no position separate you. Let no wealth separate you. You let nothing get between you and Jesus. Nothing. Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, we have a ways to go yet in this parable. But let us understand, Lord, the reason Israel is no longer divine because all the failure that took place in Israel in the Old Testament. And Jesus becomes that life-living vine and we are the branches. And that is the Father's will in our life that we be productive, that we bear fruit in our lives. And we allow the Holy Spirit to plant his fruit in us. And that we are a people who desire for our fruit not to be shriveled up, not to be small, but it would be big and large and it would be juicy to the eyes and it would entice people to pick of our fruit and to eat of it and to taste it and to see how good the Lord is. Lord, help us to bear such fruit in our lives. Help us to want people to pick our fruit, to pick at our kindness, to pick at our patience, to pick at our wisdom, to pick at our understanding, to pick at our gentleness, to pick at our love. Lord, help us to bear the fruit that will be a blessing to people, that would touch the lives of people. And that people can eat of and be energized. That people can take and partake of it and be strengthened. That people can discover that when they bite into it, the smile that comes on their face and the joy that takes place in their heart. Because they're eating of righteousness. They're eating of forgiveness. They're eating of the joy and the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ that comes from the fruit of our lives. Lord, minister to us, I pray. Grab hold of each one of us right now. Touch each one of our hearts. Speak to each one of us your word. Let no one leave here, Lord, without sensing your presence and a word from you. And Lord, we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.